Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for sending your Son, Lord, to die and rise, that on Him we would have a living hope. As we gather together around your Word, we would ask that you break it small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. As we gathered over the last three days, now the fourth of our observance of Holy Week, we can begin to see that even the candles themselves have begun to feel the wear as the oil begins to run dry and the flames become a bit more faint. As our service ended on Good Friday, the shadows had set in and the seventh word was spoken from the cross as Jesus breathes his last and he gives up his spirit and dies. And then we gather back together on Saturday night and it becomes a bit more light. So that as we arrive today, the sun shines brighter than it ever has before. We need Easter like we need air. As God shapes and forms Adam out of the dust of the earth in Genesis 1, Adam is a lifeless sculpture of a man until God places his own breath within his lungs. And then as Jesus dies, he breathes his last and it is finished. We need Easter like we need air. We need the alleluias to fill our lungs and bellow forth, no longer restrained by the somberness of Lent. For the last 40 days, we had held off from saying the glorias and the alleluias, not because we had to, but because we could. Because we knew what was coming. We knew that in our restrained joy that we have experienced over the last week, we knew that once we could say them again, that they would mean something even more. We need Easter to call that which is dead within to new life. We need Easter to breathe in the Spirit of God and breathe out, expel that which would choke it. See, as an intergenerational church, it can be chaotic. And for the last couple days, it has. And we want to pull our hair out some days. And on other days, we celebrate and we revel in the chaos. And that's what ministry is. 
But as we gather together today and there is nothing but joy in the house of the Lord, we need Easter like our lives depend on it. I would invite you to turn, if you have brought your Bible along with you, to our reading in John 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. It was a new day, a new week, and she was still covered in the cloud of darkness. And for some of us, we find ourselves more comfortable in the familiarity of the darkness because there we can actually make sense of it. We know what to expect. We know why we deserve it. There's no awkwardness in how comfortable we may be in it. The devil we know is better than the devil we don't. So for some of us, Easter feels like being shaken awake from a deep sleep. See, sometimes when I sleep, I stop breathing. No joke. Ask my wife. And then you wait a few seconds, and all of a sudden I'll get an elbow in the side, and... She calls it a resurrection breath. (laughs) And I've talked to other people that have the same deal. They say, yeah, it's terrifying. I don't know. I've never seen it. (laughs) But the reality is, is that for some of us, we become so used to stopping our breath and to staying comfortable where we are in the darkness that it becomes normal. See, the beautiful thing about the story of Easter is that even as they run to the empty tomb on Easter morning in the dark, they still don't get it. They've spent three years with the man. They've heard him say time and time and time again, the Son of Man will suffer at the hands of men, will die and will rise three days later. And guess what? They watch him die. They wait three days and then they show up at the tomb not to celebrate, but expecting to find a body. A body that needed to be appropriately anointed. They expected to find Jesus exactly where he had been left. And in seeing the stone rolled away, Mary Magdalene's first response isn't, He's done it! It's real! It's true! Hallelujah! He is risen! He is risen indeed! No! She runs back and she goes, It's terrible! The worst thing imaginable has happened. They've stolen his body. Now he's risen. He's gone because somebody stole his body. 
And because Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved have to see for themselves, they get into this epic foot race back to the tomb. And guess what? Mary's telling the truth. There's no body. But instead, what they find is the linens that the body had been wrapped in. And the linens for his body are probably crumpled up over here on the side, but it says, more importantly, that the head covering that covered his head, his face, was folded up neatly and set off to the side. That in his resurrection, Jesus comes back to set things in order, to make them right. And it says that at least one of them believed, and they go back to their homes, and they leave Mary there to fend for herself. Nice guys. And then she stoops, and she looks in to see for herself. And the tomb is no longer empty, but instead, there's not one but two angels sitting there, one where his head was, and one where his feet were. And they say, woman, why are you crying? As if to say, didn't you listen? These angels that sat at the feet of God the Father in heaven while they watched him suffer at the death of his son. These angels that stood beside the cross helplessly waiting for Jesus to cry out for help and watching him die instead. These angels that waited expectantly and anxiously to be there on the day that he rose from the dead so that they could say, Woman, why are you weeping? And so she turns. And there's this guy standing there, and she immediately assumes he's the gardener. Doesn't even recognize Jesus standing there in front of her. And she says, sir, where have you laid him? And he says again, woman, why are you weeping? Don't you get it? And then he calls her by name. In the same way that he calls you and I by name in holy baptism, and he says, you are mine. That name that is written in the Lamb's book of life. I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus. And over the last several weeks that we have celebrated Lent, we have had a theme of journeying throughout the season. As we've taken one step closer to the cross, But see, what happens is, and we joke about this as pastors, is that all of a sudden, things kind of start to get weird in your life when Lent begins. And that by the time you get to Holy Week, everything feels like it falls apart. You have conflict in your home. Your car breaks down. Somebody gets sick. Somebody dies. Something happens here and breaks over there. Nothing goes the way that it should because the closer we come to the cross, 
the harder that the devil works to pull us back away. Because he knows what happens when we step through it onto the other side. Because the devil knows that he's bound, that his day is done, and that in Jesus' resurrection, death has no victory and the grave has no sting. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out, even though the disciples still didn't have a clue. God still gives them the keys to the kingdom and says, I want you to tell everybody about the stuff that you do know, that part about me keeping my promise. You know, the promise that I made way back before creation, the one that says that someday I will redeem you, that when you die, you will rise like me, as the Apostle Paul tells us today. So that when we gather together around the Lord's table, that we do so in the fellowship of all saints. Those that we have loved and lost in the faith, they gather together around us, both seen and unseen. So that there is no place where we are closer to the family of God than right here around his table. And so for that reason, we can say, Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. So God always gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.